Hello, and welcome to Wicked Wednesdays, your weekly podcast on sex and sexuality with an emphasis on BDSM kink and poly relationships. This week, we're going to have a Q&A with Katja. Hello. Hello. And she's also going to talk a bit about the episode on what makes a good sub. This is episode 35, coming a week late, but better late than never. We had a rare visit from a member of our little Polly family last week, and between that and getting our schedules to align, and also some some family difficulties, not ours directly, but Kasha's experienced some some difficult stuff going on with her immediate family. So, you know, sometimes you just can't record. And we wanted to make sure that this was a good episode, we didn't just rush it out there, and we wanted to make sure that you had the best possible episode we could give you. So, we're here. The cat is locked away in her kennel because she's a little terrorist, and hopefully we can record. Before we get started this week, I want to send a shout out to our newest Patreon subscriber, Charlie number four, and thank you very much. I am curious what happened to Charlie's one through three, but perhaps that's a secret that will be safe between you and me. If you would like to be a Patreon subscriber, head over to our website, wickedfellow.com. You can find our Patreon there, our YouTube channel, the podcast is hosted there. All of our adult sites and all of our social media links are there as well. As always, a huge thank you to all of our supporters and followers, whether you just listen to the show every week or drop by Instagram and leave a message. We really appreciate you guys. When we put out the call for all these questions for Katya, you had some very insightful, very well thought out questions, much better than if I had just sat down and created a list of questions on my own. The authentic nature of them coming from you and being things that you're curious about, either with Katya or her experiences as a sub, that is the basis of this episode. And I think you'll see how much it helps to have that interaction between you guys and the podcast. One other small bit of business news. I am going to change the name of the podcast, and I have not decided on what it's going to be called yet, but I've realized that Wicked Ways Studio Podcast doesn't really help people understand what the podcast is about. When they're searching for podcasts on Apple Podcasts and the other podcasting sites, it never comes up because it doesn't say things like BDSM and kink or poly and relationship advice, etc. So one way to help me get a little higher up in the search results would be to have a much more descriptive title. And I'm still trying to think about what that could be. If you happen to have a great idea for what we should call the podcast, let me know. If you're subscribed to the podcast, it's not going to matter. It'll just change the name in your podcasting app. You don't have to resubscribe. Everything should keep going as normal. We might also change the cover art. We'll see. I just want to make it more accessible to people. And I've realized that if you go into Apple Podcast and you search for Kink Podcast or BDSM Podcast, Kink Education Podcast, etc., we never show up. And partly that's because we're a pretty small podcast. We don't have a huge subscriber base. But we have about 4,000 subscribers. And at that level we should be a little bit higher in the search results. And as of now, we're just not there. If you don't search for us by name and know exactly what you're looking for, you'll never find our podcast. So something that will help people find us, something that will help us get those search results, because I want to get the word out there. I want people to listen to this and respond to it and this to be something useful for the community at large. So Wicked Way Studio Podcast will probably end this week as far as the name. And next week or the week after, we're going to rebrand as 
insert the best possible title here. So, my silent partner, gotcha. <laughs> you listen to the episode on what are the qualities that make a good sub. Right. And again, those qualities were not, you need to have these things, otherwise you're not a submissive. Because that's something that I believe, and I think you believe, is how you're born. You, you're born that way. I think that anyway. Some people, you know, there may be some experimentation. You may be very switchy or on that line where sometimes you feel submissive and sometimes you feel dominant. You know, again, I think you're born that way. People that are born strong, dominant, like I am. You know, I never chose to be a dominant. I didn't decide from a list of options. I want to be a dom. It's just how I came. This is factory installed for me. So they were not designed to be prerequisites to being a sub. You know, you're a sub. They were designed to be, these are things, these are qualities that will help you be a happy, successful sub. This will help you in your relationships. This will help you be more fulfilled as a submissive. So when you listen to that podcast, mm -hmm. thoughts? Yeah. So, you know, again, like with the What Makes a Good Dominant podcast, we had very similar lists, although at least in a couple of cases, I think that we were thinking about those qualities a little bit differently. And so I happen to have my list right here. <laughs> so um, the first one, so I totally agree with most of these that um, these aren't prerequisites to being a submissive. In fact, most of the things on my list are things that I'm constantly working on and don't think I'm anywhere near good enough at. <laughs> they're, they're more aspirational. Um, but the first one I think I would put as a prerequisite, which is the desire to please. Mm. Um, because I think that without that, you're not a sub, you're a bottom, and there's nothing wrong with that. But it's just to me that is the dividing line between someone who simply enjoys bottoming to certain types of physical play and somebody who is submissive to their dominant. You know that I'm going to have you expound on that. Bit. Okay. So someone that described the difference between a submissive and a bottom. I would see bottom as a style of submissiveness. I think of it as the opposite. I think that a submissive is a subcategory of a bottom. Okay. So, yeah. So I think – so when I think of top and bottom – that's those are really broad descriptors that aren't even necessarily just limited to BDSM play, right? Because in so forgive me because I I'm not terribly experienced in the gay scene, but you know, I think those are descriptors that are used in the gay scene all the time just to describe, you know, who is the actor in sex and who's being acted upon in sex, right? So I think of top and bottom as simply being the person Performing the activity and the person receiving the activity or having sure. the activity and that done may to not them. be a submissive role or even a submissive exactly. dom relationship. Exactly, and so and you know, as you know, I have topped, right? Mm -hmm. I have not ever dominated anyone, but I've definitely topped in BDSM play. And to me, what that means is, um, I was performing these acts, I was doing these activities, but I was not feeling, and I don't believe my partner was feeling any sort of power exchange between us. That is something that we're going to have to get into probably on its own episode. Those are good points that, yeah, you can describe. I do tend to categorize almost everything in these power exchange relationships, but a lot of relationships do not have a formal power exchange or an informal power exchange, someone does tend to be the more active and the doer, and someone tends to be the do-e, that doesn't necessarily make them dom and sub or a power exchange relationship, so top and bottom. It does seem that in any time you're doing play, in any kind of BDSM scene, kink scene, the one doing is in a position of power over the one being done to. Well, 
So, you know, as someone with extensive experience as a sub and very little experience as a top, I can say that I have topped without feeling that I had <laughs> any kind of real power. In fact, if anything, I, I felt that I it was an act of service almost because what I was getting out of topping was seeing how much the bottom was enjoying it. To me, it was a way of giving pleasure. When you were topping, were you under the direction of a dominant? No. But, you know, it was it was really just kind of a scene between equals where, you know, he wanted a certain activity done to him. I thought, that's fun. I'll try that. And we did that. And it was fun. And I felt no power exchange whatsoever. And I mean, you know, I've, I've played with a lot of people in very casual ways where I would say, yeah, with, there's just such a hugely varying degree of power exchange that I've felt. But I have, there are lots of people that I've played with who I can't really say I felt any dynamic with whatsoever. But it was, it's just more, let's try this activity. <laughs> On the dom sub scale, that that gradated scale of dom to sub, I would put you pretty firmly in the sub category. Sure. You're, you're not even that close to center line. And I'm on the other side of that. I'm very dominant. If we're in a scene mm -hmm. and I put my hands on the wall and I said, I want you to paddle me. Right? I'm, <laughs> I'm commanding you to paddle me. Yeah. What would that situation be? Would you be the top in that? Yeah, for that scene, I'm the top. I don't think so. Again, because I am commanding you to do it. Yeah, but I think you're the dominant, but you're ordering me to top you. I'm ordering you to paddle me. I'm not ordering you, for example, and I could. I could say, for this scene, you're going to be in charge. You're going to decide what we're going to do. But you're going to tell me what to do. That would be you ordering me to dominate you. True. <laughs> but you know, I think there is a gradation difference here. If I say, pick up that paddle, hit me with it, who's controlling who? Right? Who's yeah. in charge of that scene? You are. But if I say, for the next hour, you're in charge. Mm -hmm. If you want to flog me, go ahead. If you want me to get on the floor, go ahead. You're in charge for that scene, even though I have commanded you to be, the same way that you gave me authority to be your dominant. So that doesn't make you the dominant in our relationship because you gave me the authority to dominate you. If I was to give that authority to you for an hour, that doesn't make me less of the dominant sure. or you less of the submissive. But for that scene, and I think there is, I think there's a very clear difference there, at least in my mind. If I was to say you're in charge for the next hour, then you are the top for that hour. If I was to command you to do things within a scene, I don't think I've surrendered control to you in that. I think I'm still very much controlling you. Sure. No, I think that, I just think that for me, Top and bottom is purely a description of physically who is doing an act and who is receiving the act. And dominant and submissive is about the power exchange dynamic um, and much less about the physical activity. I like this. This is a very interesting line. I don't want to get too far off into the weeds, but I do appreciate that. So you were saying a prerequisite to being a submissive. Right. Would be the desire case. to please. Because I, I, I think that if you don't have that... I, I don't I I have a hard time understanding how you can be submissive rather than simply bottoming and receiving pleasure from a physical activity that you enjoy. Yeah. Have you met any brats? Yes. You do not feel that that torpedoes your argument. No, I don't actually. Okay. Because I think um, I think there's I think it's going to very much depend on the individual. But I think that either a if there is truly no desire to please, then they're not submissive. <laughs> If, on the other hand, what I think is probably more common with brats is that they do 
ultimately want to please, but they want to fight hard to be kind of forced into the position of having to surrender. And then once they're in that place, they very much want to please. It could be. That would certainly describe some characteristics of brats that I know. I, I know others that, again, it's a constant thing. There's never a breakthrough moment when all of a sudden they become this model submissive. They're a brat to the core. They will always be bratty. Maybe for an hour, they fall into a, a more peaceful, more malleable state, but that dissipates very quickly and they will become a brat again very soon because that's who they are. That's who they like to be. That's what's fun for them. That's what they get fulfillment from. Sure. Nothing wrong with that. And I don't know. I think, I don't know if I would say that a strong characteristic of a brat is a desire to please. Mm -hmm. I think that you're not incorrect with what you said, that there is something in them that, to me, it's more that they want to be dominated and they want to be dominated in a way that is extremely clear to them. Like there's no gifting of their submission. It has to be taken by will. Sure. No, that's a very good point. Um, next on my list is patience, um, which is definitely one of those qualities that I'm working on in myself. I think that, you know, there are a lot of different respects to this, but, you know, ultimately, if you are truly submitting to someone else, then things aren't going to come in your own time. They're going to come in your dominance time. You have to be ready to accept that. Mm -hmm. That's, I guess, big picture. But, you know, I'm, I think little picture patience can come into play every single day. How have you exercised patience as a <clears throat> sub recently? So, you know, as I said, patience isn't something that comes easily to me. But for me, I tend to have very strong desires. <laughs> and I can get very anxious when those desires aren't met. And exercising patience for me is, is simply reminding myself, right? Reminding myself. I think patience can be, a lot of these qualities can really be very intertwined. And so I think that in this sense, patience can be kind of closely linked to trust, right? So one way I'm exercising patience is reminding myself of the trust that I have in my dominant and that ultimately everything will be good. Impatience is certainly something that I fought against as a dom. As I mentioned before, one of my weaknesses is not being very patient. It's a different kind of patience. When I'm working with a submissive, they frequently want to do more. They want to have more sessions or they want to progress faster. And there is usually restraint on my side. I am usually holding them back a bit because I want things to progress in a certain way. I want things to progress at a certain speed, and that pace is very important to me. And I'd much rather have a submissive who's kind of eager and chomping at the bit than one that feels like they're getting rushed along faster than they can uptake the information. So for me, I'm very patient in that way. That's something that I exercise a great deal of patience in. And I enjoy seeing them come along slowly. I enjoy seeing them excited for the next new thing because they have been excited. They've been waiting for it. They've been yearning to go to the next level, learn their next rule or try their next style of play or scene. Impatience in a sub can be, can be very difficult because that impatience is often kind of the first step to topping from the bottom where they're saying, oh, I really want to do this. And that request is perfectly fine. That request is good. That is, that's showing interest on their part. That's not topping from the bottom. But that desire can quickly become a demand. It can quickly become a kind of pouty, 
well, if we're not going to do this, then I don't want to play, that kind of thing. And I certainly understand that impulse, but that's a very good sign to me, if I'm working with a sub, that they're not ready. You know, that's kind of in and of itself shows me they're not ready for the next step. If their response is, well, if we don't play the way I want to, I'm going to stop playing. My response to that would be good. That's excellent. We should not play together because we're not going to be compatible. I do need someone that is excited. But when I say you're not ready yet, they understand that they take that inside. They don't take it as a slight or an insult. It means that I see them for who they are and I want the best for them. So their response should be, thank you, sir. I'll be patient or I'll try to be patient. And that's frequently where you and I are, where I know you want certain things and you will hint or directly tell me that you want this certain thing. Sometimes the answer is sure, no problem. Let's do that. Many times the answer is no, not right now. And you have trouble with that. You do, you do struggle with that. You have a very instant gratification kind of mindset. Sure. And I routinely work against that. Even if it's something that I would be perfectly happy to do, I will frequently make you wait. Because I want you to get in that mindset where you very easily and very readily accept no as, a, as an acceptable answer. As something that's okay. Then I will wait. And I won't pout. And I'm not going to act childish. And I'm not going to be bad. I'm going to say, okay, and we're going to move forward. I think one of your favorite is to, to let you drive. <laughs> yeah, and that's very much, in the dom-sub relationship, it is very much like that, a driver and a passenger in a car. And if we get in a car together and I say, we're going to the lake, put your feet up, relax, let me do it. Enjoy the ride, enjoy that trip. The last thing I want is, oh, well, how are we going to get there? Are we going to take the highway? Or are we going to take a back road? I think we should take a back road. Maybe we should go by this other place on the way there. Hey, maybe on the way back, we. I don't want that. Right. I'm driving. I may ask you, hey, is there anywhere you want to go on the way home? But I don't want that necessarily intruded upon as, if we're doing this, I want to go this direction. Now, that's in a dom sub. You know, again, you can take this analogy too far. But I do frequently let you know that, let me drive. Don't worry about whatever it is you're worrying about it. I've got it. I'm in control. Yes, I checked the gas. Yes, I checked the tires. Yes, I got the oil gun. You know, I have taken care of all those things that you may be concerned about and many other things that you haven't even thought about. But, and this is where that good dom-sub communication comes in, maybe I'm wool gathering while we're driving down the road and you see the sign for where we're about to go <laughs> drift by in the window. <laughs> that is a good time to say, sir, <laughs> not to intrude, but that was the place we were going. <laughs> you know, as I've often told Katja, there is there's a seesaw of when it's impertinent to ask questions and when it's very welcome to ask questions. If I say we're going to Lake Michigan and we pass Lake Michigan and we're on our way up to Canada that would be a good time to nudge me and ask me if I still want to keep going towards Canada. I can take that kind of input. I mean, just even today, as an example, we were going to stop by a restaurant to pick up my takeout. You know, you turned a, a highway or a road sooner than I would have turned. And I it was so it was kind of a weird way to go. But I didn't want to say anything. I just thought, well, 
we're still not really going out of the way unless he doesn't turn on this other cross street. So I just kind of let him keep going until we were getting close to that cross street. And then I let him know. And that was, that's completely fine. <laughs> I thought I was one street over. I knew the direction I was going. I yeah. knew I was still going in the right direction towards home. And once I got to that said cross street, I was like, no, oh, this is the street that I should be on for this restaurant. So we communicated that well, no problem. If you had reminded me three blocks later, I might have been like, well, that would have been something nice to know <laughs> three blocks ago. So you, you timed that well. You didn't intrude on it. You didn't try to second guess or micromanage. And we got your chips and queso. We did. It's all good. Um, okay. So next on my list, malleability. Um, you know, so malleability in kind of everyday parlance, I suppose, would be, I just, you know, bend, bendability, that you can shape something, the ability to shape something. What are you telling me for there? Okay, there? so malleability, um, basically I mean that as uh, the ability to allow yourself to be shaped by your dominant. Um, if you are too rigid in your expectations and your desires, I suppose. You're not really giving up power. Everything needs to be done exactly the way that you want it to be done. I, I don't think you're really giving up power. And so I think malleability is something in some respects I can be very good at and in other respects I can be very bad at. And so it's always, I think, like I said, I think practically all of these qualities are things that I'm, I'm constantly working on myself. And I, I think that process will probably never end. On malleability... You certainly have been unsatisfied in some of your dom-sub relationships. Sure. And you did what? Um, left. <laughs> so, and I'm not blaming you for that. My question would be, where does malleability end and being a doormat start right. or, you know, being forced into doing things that don't make you happy and don't make you comfortable as a sub? Well, I think this ties into... Well, two down, which would be self-worth, <laughs> right? So, I mean, part of it is self-worth, but it's not just that. It's also simply knowing yourself and your needs and your limits. Yeah, I mean, you, you just basically have to know what is acceptable to you within the confines of your relationship and what can you simply not be happy. If you get to a point, and this is really going to be the same as in any kind of relationship, I think, if you get to the point where you realize there's a fundamental incompatibility with your partner and yourself in a way that you simply will never be happy in the relationship, then it's time to move on. But ideally, there is a large space in there <laughs> Um, in which you're, you know, you do have compatibility with your partner and you are able to be malleable and, and let your dominance shape you into the, the style, the form that, that he wants you to be in. How much room is there for experimentation? Now, I've found that anytime I propose some new way of play to you, it turns out that you're more into it than I've ever expected you to be. <laughs> so I want you to pretend for a moment that you had never thought of doing pony play it didn't interest <laughs> you and you didn't want to do it so you've never done it before you don't you've never even heard about it before i have a pony big gag upstairs with brains pretend <laughs> as a malleable sub that for a moment you've never heard of pony play. and i told you i want to try pony play i think it's really cool it turned me on i saw a video and i want to do that with you now pretend that your initial thought is, oh, I don't want to do that. I don't, that doesn't make me excited in any way. Yeah. Well, where so does that conversation go? The, I don't, I still think I'm a bad person to ask because, and I was going to actually get into this 
in the Q&A because there are a couple questions that I get asked that, that, that I'm going to be asked that sure. really hit on this. Um, we'll hold that. Okay. <laughs> we can hold that answer for the Q&A. Okay. But you do feel like there's a certain point, you know, you should be open to new ideas. You should be open to trying new things with your dog. Absolutely. You should be willing to, you know, move outside your comfort zone, et cetera. And again, let your dom drive, let them lead. But if you do feel like they're leading you in a place you don't want to go, right. you know, communicate that first. Always try communication. But if communication is not going to solve the problem where they're like, no, this is the direction I want to go. So if you don't want to go, get out. Right. Yeah. And to me, you know, it, it, it's the fun, right? It's it's a large part of the fun in being the sub, being molded and being led. So, so Matt, it's not necessarily just a, a difficult thing. It can be a difficult thing, certainly, when there are areas where your dom wants you to have, you know, personal growth in things that are hard for you. That can be difficult. But in the play sense, it's pretty much all fun for me. Yeah. And that's with you when you say that you have difficulty with malleability. It's not ever your desire to try something. I've never proposed something to you where you were, where you said, no, I don't want to do that. You're usually extremely enthusiastic, sometimes overly enthusiastic. <laughs> I think where you have, when you're thinking about malleability difficulties, yeah. it's when I say you have this trait yeah, and I don't want you to have this trait. Right. You agree that you don't want to have this trait. Right. But getting from that point to not having the trait right. can be a struggle. Extraordinarily difficult, yes. So say it's anxiety or worry right. or whatever it is. You don't want to be anxious, and I don't want you to be anxious. Right. But how we get you to be a happy, calm, confident sub right. where you don't worry you know, day to day, does he like me, <laughs> even though you know I like you, you know, that kind of thing. You know, that's... I'm making light of it, but those are normal anxieties. Anxiety is something that a lot of people deal with. You know, I'm not making fun of it. I definitely understand anxiety and it can, I understand the the kind of dark humor of it in that I don't know any anxious person that relishes their anxiety and doesn't want to get rid of it. At the same time, it's one of those things where the stupidest thing in the world is to tell an anxious person, well, just don't be anxious. I know how hard that is. I know how fruitless it is to just tell somebody, stop worrying. Problem solved. I know. <laughs> so I do try to equip you with tools. They don't they don't always work. Yes, sir. But I have continued to try to equip. Okay. Resourcefulness is next on my list. And I think that what I was thinking when I put this on here is I mean, and of course this was gonna depend on your dominant, but if you have a dominant like mine who wants you to accomplish things but doesn't want to micromanage you, then you have to be able to be resourceful. You have to be able to think of, you know, how to accomplish things um, that your dominant wants you to do. I'm an especially difficult dom because I function in two different ways. I either want precise response and direct obedience to every command, instant response and instant obedience to every command. Or I want a plug and play sub that I can say, go do this thing and I don't have to think about it. It just gets done. And I know that those two different things is a lot to ask in one person. You know, some people are very good at following orders and instantly obeying them. They really feel comfortable in that space. And other people are very good at self-governance and very good at being given a task and they don't need to know all the details about how to accomplish it. They would rather decide that themselves and that makes them happy. 
it's actually rare to find both of those in the same person. So I know that I'm asking a lot of you, you tend to be more, you like me to tell you what to do, how to do it, and be right there with you. That's a more comfortable space. It's not that you're not capable of doing anything on your own, but you want to be pleasing to me in these tasks. Right. And so your thought is, well, I would load the dishwasher this way, but is that how my sir would want me to load it? Right. And that creates anxiety. In yeah. You. So I think like, I think that I, it just all depends on the situation, but I think I can be good at both of those things. I, so it's, it's that I can accomplish the thing you want me to accomplish, but the way I would do it would baffle you, turn out not to have been pleasing. And so you know, for my anxiety, it is often better just to know, you know, a little more tight parameters of what I'm supposed to be doing. Part of that, again, there is a game in this. Part of this is if I tell you to accomplish something and if I'm telling you to do something, that means that I probably want you to do it in a way that would be pleasing to me is seeing how you go about it without me giving you direct instruction, without me giving you step-by-step -step instruction. Because we've been together some time now, we've done a lot of things together, and you should have by now picked up on certain things about me and certain ways that I want things done. Sometimes your inventiveness is very pleasing. Even if it's not the way I would have done it, I look and go, oh, that was clever, that was a good idea, that worked well. Sometimes I look at it and I think, why on earth would you do it this way? <laughs> and, but again, in those situations, unless I told you specifically how to do it, I can only blame myself. I can only say, well, if you didn't want her to do it that way, you should have told her to not do it that way. But yeah, that's part of our journey. That's part of our relationship is both of those. Sometimes me being very exacting with you and sometimes giving you rein to accomplish things on your own. Someday you're going to be so accomplished that you don't even need direction. <laughs> um, so the next on my list is self-worth. And I know that this or something very similar to this was on Sir's list, but this is the one I think I was, I noticed the most that he approached it completely differently than how I was thinking of it. So I think you were thinking of it more, and this makes sense, more within your DS relationship, needing to have that sense of self-worth. I was thinking of it more as being out there in the world and in the scene and playing with different people and finding a dom, <laughs> needing to have that really strong sense of self-worth um, in order to keep yourself safe and out of bad situations. Sure. I, I don't think of those as mutually exclusive. Yeah. Right? I, and I did... I did play up the, you know, be proud of who you are as a sub. Be proud of your submissive lifestyle. Don't allow people to shame you for that. And that was an example. I think that, to me, that carries over. That carries over into not letting the people around you make you feel lesser than. Or even worse than that is attacking yourself and making yourself feel lesser than. Doubting yourself. I do think there has to be a level of self-worth, self-respect, self-confidence. Because... I've, I've certainly worked with subs that had extremely low self-esteem and extremely low self-image. And it can be such a trial to buoy them constantly. And it seems like no matter how frequently you lift them up and show them how you know, worthy they are, they immediately crumple as soon as you let go. And I don't think that's healthy. I don't think it's healthy for the dom-sub relationship, and I don't think it's healthy for them. You know, as a quick side note, I know that some doms, some less ethical doms, specifically seek out people that have very low self-worth and then further push them down. Right. 
and that they use that as a method of control. And that moves into the, you'll never find someone better than I am. You're lucky to have me. How dare you? You know, that's a very toxic trait, I think. And they don't want their subs to feel any sort of self-worth. Otherwise they might leave. Right. And I think that that's very bad. So that's, you know, it, it is a protection in and of itself to have some level of self-esteem and some level of self-confidence. I think it's a very important thing in our game, especially to not ever feel like you, you're so lowly that you're lucky for the attention of this hedge dom over here who doesn't know what, he, what they are doing. <laughs> and the final entry on my list is ability to trust. Um, and I would say, you know, there are two aspects, physical trust and emotional trust. So you have to be able to trust someone physically, like, and I think this is the most basic, this is probably the easier, at least for me, it's a much easier kind of trust. Um, just feeling that you are physically safe in a situation, you're not going to be harmed. This person that you're, um, you know, as long as this person is worthy of it, the ability to, you know, let go and enjoy things that are being done to you. Um, emotional trust can be a lot harder and the power exchange relationships are extremely emotionally intense. I suppose it all depends on the dom and the level of emotional intensity that he wants. I tend to definitely lean toward the direction of being attracted to doms who want that very intense level of power exchange. Yeah, it, it can definitely be very, very hard to give up that much power and to place yourself under someone and trust that they will take care of you emotionally as well as physically. I would say that that's partially Koch-centric, not in a bad way, but you do tend to play with your body and your heart together. I've certainly had subs. Um, that there was really no emotional involvement outside of a friendship, where there was not, you know, love exchange coming back and forth, where it really was, let's play together. And that's all we're doing together. Sure. We're not gazing into each other's soul. I've had other relationships, obviously, where the emotional side of the DS play was far more important than any physical play we did. The trust is there both ways. I found that subs in general tend to be very courageous people. Physically, they tend to just dive headfirst into things. They don't tend to have a lot of reserve <laughs> for their physical well-being. I would encourage subs to have more concern about their physical well-being. <laughs> a lot of the stuff we do, you know, the worst thing is you're going to be sore the next day. Some of the things we do, you can get into a lot of trouble very quickly. So do be careful physically. Be very stingy with that trust. Make sure that you're giving that trust to someone that has earned it. Trust is one of those weird qualities that you cannot decide to trust somebody. You cannot say, I'm going to trust this person if they've given you reason not to trust them. And as I said in a previous episode, trust is its own episode, how it works, what is the human emotion of trust and all that. But trust your gut, you know, trust yourself, make sure that you are not getting yourself into a situation where you're kind of iffy, especially where your safety is concerned. Counter to that, subs do tend to be fairly guarded, it seems to me, with their heart. They do tend to hold back a bit. A lot of subs can take 40 lashes, but very they're very sensitive emotionally. Physically, they're tough. Emotionally, they tend to be much more vulnerable. And again, I am I'm broadly overgeneralizing this, but that's been my experience. Very tough physically, a bit shy emotionally. So I asked our Instagram followers. Mm -hmm. I need to start asking our Twitter followers too. I'm not as active on Twitter as I should be. 
I don't seem to click with that platform very well. Instagram, you know, us old folks aren't doing the TikTok thing. <laughs> I'm, I'm comfortable with Instagram. Don't don't press me. But I will start putting those questions out on Twitter as well. One more side note. I'm not going to read anybody's name on here. Some of these questions were sent definitely privately. Some were sent openly. But, and again, everybody's using their pseudonym. However, if you don't hear your name associated with your question, it's not a slight to you. I'm just keeping everything private. A listener asks, do you ever worry about not being into something that your partner is into <laughs> or trying something new and disliking it while your partner loved it? No, I don't worry about that. But so I think that's a perfectly reasonable thing to worry about. But it's just that um, I know the way I work, which is kind of funny, is that um, my dominant will suggest something to me. And my initial response in my head will be horror. And then I will think about it. And within a week or two weeks, I will really want to try that thing. Um, <laughs> and I think <clears throat> part of this is because, you know, my, my primary kink is being used, having my dominant seek his own pleasure at my expense. And so even if it were something that I didn't like, I would just be turned on by that. Obviously, there are limits to this, but <laughs> within the parameters of the relationship with the people I trust, um, there aren't a lot of things that I don't enjoy doing, even if I hate them, but they turn me on a lot. In a dom-sub relationship, you're, you're well paired with me because I don't have that desire to, oh, I want to push her beyond her limits and see what happens. That's not where I find my joy in play. So when I find something that you're into, I might press the limits of that, but I'm not just going to seek in the BDSM catalog for the most obscure thing I can find and subject you to it simply to see your reaction. Like that doesn't, that's not the way I play. Some people do. That is certainly part of their play is, oh, well, you like flogging. Let's try this. And well, you took that well. Let's try this other thing. Yeah. And I'm going to find something yeah. that you say no to. I mean, I would say that like the... The type of play that I've tried that I like the least would be um, my one of my previous dominants was really, really into medical play. And she had like a very extensive dungeon that even had a medical play area. And she was into needles and staples and stuff like that. I am very squeamish. But even so, I still we, we did needles together. I mean, probably only once or twice. But like I really wanted to do them, even though I'm afraid of needles and I hate needles. And when I'm at the doctor's office, I always complain that they don't have a teddy bear in the room. Um, in the con like, if my dom is really into that thing, I really want her or him to be able to do that with me. So yeah, that's, that's kind of how I work. Obviously, medical play can be just a scenario. You know, I'm going to be your doctor, you're going to be the patient, right. and we're going to play this out in a medical setting. Right. For you specifically, it was the more physical aspects of some of the medical play. So mm -hmm. even if we weren't doing medical play, needles would not excite you. No. Or cutting, that kind of thing. I think you'd probably say no to that. What, cutting? Mm -hmm. No, I wouldn't say no to that. How can you be squeamish about needles? I'm Well, but I didn't say no to needles either. But I've done needles. I don't want to do needles, but I, if my dom wants to do needles, then I want to do needles. But actually, I'm for whatever reason, I'm less squeamish about cutting than I am about needle. They gro that grosses me out less, and I really want to be branded. So, this is a very good example. <laughs> when I think I am suggesting something to Katja that she might not be into, <laughs> finding out that she's actually I'm like, oh, do you want to do that? Okay, let's do it. I don't actually. Could I have a cool that. scar, no. like in a pretty artistic shape? No. Okay. 
It's not my kink. <laughs> the things I learned doing this podcast. Okay. I'm like among my kind of social circle, I was known as being a, a fairly extreme player. Although there are definitely people who were more extreme than me. All right, I'll stop talking. Stay in your lane. <laughs> okay. I'm driving this podcast. <laughs> What motivated you to film videos? Did the thought that people you might know would find out that you do porn, did that hold you back in the beginning? How did you find the courage to do it? Also, do your friends and family know, and what was their reaction? So I didn't really set out to do porn. Um, we were just filming for our own pleasure. And one time, Sir said, this is a million hit video. <laughs> I wonder if I can blur your face. And so... He tried, and I was like, okay. Um, obviously, we blur my face, and so I have some concern about privacy. On the other hand, I'm aware I'm taking a risk, so it's all it's all just kind of the level that you personally are comfortable with. Um, I don't want people to find out, but I also, it would not, if somebody tried to blackmail me with the information, I would say... <laughs> so, one i was wrong it was a 25 million hit video <laughs> that was in fact a hit video i was just and i did not approach it in that way either in that when katja reached out the irony in this is that she reached out to me because she had seen our porn videos and wanted to have that relationship but when we first started talking it was not the normal i want to come film with you conversation it was definitely i want a relationship with you and we didn't really talk about filming again we were filming for our own pleasure in this because your tastes in porn oh yeah tend that's to very, be very true. extreme yeah and you really wanted <laughs> more of video of what we were doing that's true so any video that we've posted to <laughs> the online, they're actually made for Katja. These are her personal favorite videos. It's like actually now I only ever come to those videos, <laughs> our videos. If you're wondering. So the people out there that are very upset about how I'm abusing this poor person don't realize that she wants harder, rougher more intense videos because that's what turns her on and she wants them for herself you just have the pleasure of seeing them. so yes you know the privacy concern one huge problem that i have is the style of videos we make if we completely blurred your face that would take away about 60 percent of the thrill of those videos seeing your reaction to what's happening is crucial like if you were just off screen it would not be the same so I had to balance that line of how much can I blur her and still kind of see what's going on on your face. Now, the fact that you look like a couple very well-known porn stars doesn't hurt. <laughs> and that's always been my backup plan <laughs> is no, that's not so-and-so. That's this person who looks just like you. <laughs> and I actually have two of them on tap. <laughs> I am very protective of all my models' privacy, whether or not their faces are blurred or not. And the number of times people will write me and say, can I have Katja's phone number? Can I have her private information? What's her real name? How do I get in touch with her? As if somehow I'm going to release that information would boggle your mind. Because that's how especially guys are in relation to porn stars. They feel like since they do porn, of course they would happily sleep with a stranger just for kicks. And that is not true. So with Katya, I'm, I'm very careful about her identity. I'm very careful about not 
being too specific and blurring her out of even our private photos on Instagram and such, just because I don't need anybody trying to track her down. You know, my face is out there. I'm not worried about it because while I have had some crazy-ish fans, none of my female fans have ever tried to stalk me and find me and hunt me down. You know, women just don't tend to do that, like guys, unfortunately, really do. So I'm much more careful with the women that I film with. So yeah, there is that risk. And it would be awesome if we lived in a world where it wasn't a big deal, where people could say, oh yeah, of course I do porn. Everybody does porn. Everybody likes porn. It's the number one pastime in America. There's more clicks than there are on YouTube. But there is such a stigma and there is such a social, we love this thing, but we want to abuse the people that do it. It's important to keep some level of what we call plausible deniability. The idea being that if someone were to recognize and someone were to approach you and say, did I actually see a video of you? You could be like, no, that's not what I do. <laughs> I don't know who you saw. Thank you for the compliment, but it wasn't me. And to, to answer the question about my friends and family, um, none of my family knows. I do have friends who know. N nobody who just like found and asked me only people that I've I've told um and keep in mind that I I do have quite a few friends who are either kinky or otherwise very very open-minded and those are the only people who know the people I felt safe telling you've had a very good response from your kinky friends they are mm -hmm. all like yay go you well and like they're yeah so they I had have, a watch party for you. yeah well well no they didn't. that was that's that was Ruby but before I met you and I told my friends you were coming. Then I showed them. We like all yeah, watched that, your porn. That's what I'm talking about. Oh. I, I knew you were different than Ruby, believe me. I not. thought you meant where her friends got together to watch her videos. Like you're a football, <laughs> um, no, so I definitely have friends who know him as Pornhub guy. Like, oh, you know Pornhub guy? <sighs> yeah, Pornhub guy. <laughs> he has a name, <laughs> and that is Wicked Fellow. <laughs> I have been recognized uh, just in general life, but, but again, I'm, my face is out there. I'm very forward about it. I don't have any family that I care if they object, right? My immediate family, I don't have, and any family of mine that has seen me and knows about it, they can either take it or leave it. That's very easy for me to say. I've kind of decided one day because we started anonymously too. When Bunny and I first started making videos, we did not show either of our faces because you know, as we tiptoed into this world, we didn't know what the ramifications were gonna be. At some point, we literally had the conversation, you know, if we're going to do this, we're gonna have to show our faces. We're gonna have to do this and damn the consequences. And when we took that plunge, we realized that, you know, we're not superstars. We're not getting noticed at every grocery store we go to. At the same time, you know, 400 million views, that's a lot of views. So a lot of people in the world have seen our videos and there are definitely, anytime I'm in a crowd of people, there is a much greater than zero chance that somebody in that crowd looks at me and goes, why does that guy look familiar? He seems really familiar to me. Or just straight out recognizes me, which has happened. So, so far, so good. You know, again, when I re-release Kosh's videos because as you guys know Pornhub pulled them all down I would like to release them again I might actually step up the blurring a bit just to make sure that there's no chance of her getting recognized I do have family well my mother really who knows about the BDSM if not the porn she's actually she, I don't, she doesn't understand it but she's actually very supportive of it 
when you say she knows about it, is this because of a conversation you guys had 20 years ago and have never revisited? We have revisited it. So, yeah, when I was, I think, 21, I was just, I was in a bad breakup and I called my mom and I was like, come up here, um, six hours drive here. And she did. And then I, I told her about the BDSM at that time. And then we really hadn't talked about it until... I was getting divorced and I needed to explain my divorce. And so then we talked about it again. But then, uh, and we don't talk about it regularly, but like, you know, I think the sweetest thing to me was, again, I was in the middle of a breakup and I was very sad. And I I told my mom that I, I wished I wasn't kinky because I just felt like it made everything harder. It shrinks down your pool of, of people so much. And she said, you know, but you wouldn't be you. So I thought that was incredibly sweet. It's very cool. I mean, that's, that is a very good attitude to have. And on my side, not every person I know knows that I do porn for a living. I would say that the bulk of the people that I care about knowing, no. I'm, it's kind of one of those things that I'm selective about to a degree. I, I'm out there enough that I know anybody can find me, anybody can figure out who I am. My friends, meaning. And I've definitely had friends of mine who I did not tell directly write me privately and say, guess what I found today? And I know exactly what they found. Everybody has been cool about it. There are certainly people that I don't care about who reacted very badly to it. And my not caring about it and their reacting very badly to it are very <laughs> closely tied together. Because even if someone was close to me and they had a very bad reaction to it, and attacked me for it, we would no longer be close because this is who I am. This is what I do. I'm not ashamed of it. And we need to be much more accepting about what people do. This is not something that needs to be hidden away in the shadows. You know, the pseudonyms that we use and the privacy, that's for our own literal protection. It's not because I'm ashamed of it. You know, I put my face out there. So obviously I'm not ashamed of doing with this thing. But if you can find me, you can find my models. And if you can find my models, you could possibly harm them. So I do take steps to protect their anonymity, but not because any of us are ashamed of it. You're not ashamed of it, but you have a, you know, you have a life outside of porn right. that you want to keep separate from it. Yes. And that's perfectly fine. Not everybody you meet needs to know what you do in the bedroom. You know, there's certain things you don't talk about at work. Maybe you do. I don't know what kind of work you have, but... We give everybody in our life a certain access to our private life. If you have sex on camera, you're obviously giving out a lot more information than most people do. But that doesn't mean that that's all I want to talk about with my friends. It doesn't mean that that's the first thing I want to bring up at a conversation. It doesn't mean that every time I go somewhere new, I want to tell people, oh, guess what I do for a living? You know, I'm over that initial thrill. It's been years now, and I don't lead off with, guess what I do for a living? More frequently than I would like, however, it does come up all on its own. <laughs> all right. Very good questions there. Was there anything about being a sub, any behavior or act perhaps, that you were surprised to learn you liked when you were first discovering the scene? So keep in mind that I first discovered the scene. I, honestly, I found out about it online when I was still a minor. And then I started playing when I was 18. I don't remember that well. Um, I, I mean, I'm, I'm sure... There were things I was surprised by, but I'm pretty open-minded. And as we discussed about how I function, um, even if I'm surprised by things, it doesn't tend to take very long before I've completely normalized it and maybe even fetishized it. So There you go. And it's not like you haven't played extensively in lots of different scenarios. I mean, yeah. you're not... 
if we if we sat down and made an inventory, Katya has probably done more in the BDSM scene than I have in some things that I probably will never have the opportunity to do, but also just different ways of playing with different people and different scenarios and different types of kink that either I don't have access to or is just never really interested in me personally. So she's a better representative of all the things you can do in kink oh, than I, thought, I am. I just thought it was something weird you definitely haven't done. What's that? I've had a gas mask put on me and then been dunked in the pool while my dom covered and uncovered the airway while wearing latex and heels in the pool because we had special heels. Because, well, latex you can always wear in the pool, but special heels that were our pool shoes. So, yeah, when I say that Koch has done things that I have never had the opportunity and possibly will never have the opportunity to do, keep things in that in mind. We're going to start having a regular episode of this crazy thing that Katya did at the BDSM party. The problem is that I can't tell stories in a linear way. I'm very good at editing, as this episode will show. I do want to have Koch on the podcast more frequently. We both work from home, so you think that it would be very easy for us to get our schedules aligned. Turns out it's not. In order for me to record and have something ready for the week, I usually have to record on Tuesday night or Monday night. And depending on Koch's work schedule, sometimes it's just not possible. And it does have to be at night because currently the studio only works at night. I have windows in here that would ruin the shot. I will cover those. We will be able to record 24-7. However, during the daytime... We're frequently not the only people here, and we also need to have quiet. So when Katja's working, I can't be recording. And Katja probably doesn't want to be working while I'm recording. So we have to kind of align those planets in a way. So you won't see Katja every week, but hopefully she'll be on the podcast more. And she will bring more crazy Katja stories with her, I promise. Okay, two more questions. Okay. Has your dom ever wanted to share you with someone else sexually or watch you be with someone else sexually? How would you feel? How would that conversation go? Um, I actually think I can say that's something I haven't exactly done. I've definitely done lots of things that are adjacent to that. I've definitely been given away for play. I think, honestly, one of my favorite things along these lines, it was completely non-sexual, except insofar as mentally this is all sexual to me, was... um, a few years ago, I was at a big fetish event and, you know, I had a female dom and another female dom was asking if anybody had a sub that could be lent to her for a Manny petty And my dom lent me to her for that. And it turns out I'm terrible at that, which does not surprise Sir at all. But, <laughs> but it was actually a lovely day. So I was out at the pool with this really hot dom who I still have a big crush on. And I like did her nails and she discovered I was bad at it, but she still kind of like kept me around for the rest of the day. And at one point, my favorite part was that she had me get on my hands and knees and like put a tray and ate her lunch using me as a table. And that was really the best part of the day. So I've been lent out before, but not for sex. Um, It's something that it's always been a kind of a fantasy of mine, but it's also, I think it's kind of hard to, I think it's kind of a hard one to arrange when, okay, maybe not. He thinks it's not hard to arrange. I I can promise you that it is not hard to get a man to have sex with a woman. Right. But it has to be a man that, it would have to be a man that you want having sex with me. And I think that's the hard part. Well, so this is a very, this is a very common kink. If this is your kink, don't, don't feel like you're in the wilderness because this is a very common kink that people have either 
There's a cuckolding kink where a a gentleman wants to feel powerless and ashamed and is part of that degradation style of play. And he wants to watch his partner be with somebody else, especially someone that may be bigger or stronger or more virile than him. That's all part of that play. The other, the flip side of that would be a dom placing his sub with another person for their degradation, for their, you know, I'm going to put you with this person. It could be a total stranger. You have no control over this. You're just going to do what I say. It's not necessarily for my gratification as much as it is for your humiliation. And again, that's a very common kink. Nothing wrong with these kinks. And, you know, as I was saying, it's not hard to find someone. I could go to, we could go to a bar <laughs> right now and come home in an hour. But it has to be someone you would willing. want to. <laughs> so when you so when you say that you're you're getting at more of a, a key detail is that this is not my kink. If this right. was my kink, kind of any guy will do. <laughs> like kinda, and I don't I don't mean that to be disparaging, but it's not like guys that do this or have this kink or want this done are super 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 picky about who they have it done with. Yeah. It's kind of like you'll do, <laughs> and you know there we go. So there's a lot of ways to play this. It's not something that I've done personally. You haven't done it necessarily. You know, again, I think if it was something that I wanted to do, and I could tell you, you know, next Saturday night, this is what's going to happen. You're going to do this. I think personally, no matter how strong our DS relationship is, that's a level of body autonomy where you would be perfectly justified in saying, no, I don't (laughs) want to do that. And I don't think that any sub should not be able to say no to that. It's, It's one of those levels of play where... If you're into it, awesome. If it turns you on, awesome. You should never feel pressured to do it. If it's not something you're comfortable with, if your dom wants you to do this thing and you don't want to do it, I don't think that a dom has any standing to compel you to do that. You know, that's one of those things that's a bridge too far for me. And I believe in incredibly strict, you know, 24-7, you do as I say. When it comes to having sex with another person, I feel like that's pushing too far if the sub isn't into it. Yeah, and I will say, I mean, I think, you know, we're talking about that I like to do edgy things. I mean, that that is something that would be edgy to me. Um, I would definitely do it if he told me to do it. And I, like I said, it is a fantasy of mine, but it's a fantasy I think might be, might still have like emotional difficulties for me in real life. Could be. Very good question. And very fitting for the last question. What is an absolute requirement in your aftercare routine? <laughs> I think I'm pretty low maintenance. For I mean, in that respect. <laughs> um, but yeah, I really, I don't have a particular routine I need. I, you know, I definitely want him close. You know, obviously it varies a lot with the intensity of the scene. And what is intense to me is different than what's intense to someone else. So he can do things to me that are extremely intense to other people and still might be physically intense to me, but emotionally afterwards, I'm just happy, right? And then while, yes, I would like a snuggle because I would always like a snuggle, (laughs) it's still a little bit different than if we've done, you know, a scene involving a lot of pain that's really been pushing those boundaries um, and I've been really pushed to those limits. I I still really just want the same thing, a snuggle, but the the need for it is probably stronger. The need for that closeness and the kind touch and the kind words. So aftercare is what happens immediately after the scene is over. So we've had an intense scene and there's been some flogging and there's been some rope play. There might've been some rough sex, 
but at some point it all ends. And at the end of that, it's really bad practice just to toss a towel at your sub and then leave. That leaves them very open emotionally and very vulnerable, and that can end the scene in an abrupt way that is not healthy for the sub. Some subs require a great deal of aftercare, and they may have a routine that they need. They need to have a cup of tea and a teddy bear and soft music and candles, and that they need all these things to really help them ease out of that hard BDSM space back into their normal life. And that's perfectly fine. Koch is on the less high maintenance side of that. She's very much, you know, honestly, in some of the scenes we do, I could just toss her a towel and say, tick tock, time's ticking, let's go. <laughs> and she would be okay with that based on the scene. There's, We've definitely had scenes where she would not have been able to just hop up and go about her day. There had to be some time for her to recover and get her head back together. And during that time, it is incredibly important for a dom to be there and be patient and do whatever it is the sub needs to guide them back up into normal everyday life from that hard BDSM scene. And as you're saying, the duration, who knows? It's as long as it takes. Ideally for me when I do aftercare, the sub falls asleep. And that's perfect. You know, it's a very quiet, peaceful, restful time. They may be physically exhausted and they frequently go to sleep. And that is ideal. But if it's laying there for an hour and whispering soft words to them and talking about the scene or just being there for them, that's what it takes. So again, you, you as you said, you have a very low threshold. You don't have to have a special routine necessarily. Not that there's anything wrong with one. I know when we're playing how much you need. Mm -hmm. I can't tell you how I know that. I think it's just experience. At the end of a scene, I instantly know, oh, I'm going to be here for a while. I better, <laughs> I better cancel my next appointment because she's going to need about an hour of aftercare. <laughs> Usually it's, I'll hold you for 10, 15 minutes and then we can go about our day and you're good to go. You know, that's it's very important. I do want to stress the importance of it. I have tried to start showing aftercare in our videos, or at least a semblance of aftercare. I frequently don't show the whole thing because, again, it could be me holding a model for an hour doing nothing. That can be a very good thing for the model. Not a great thing for you guys to watch. <laughs> so, yeah, if you have a very you know particular routine you like to do... There's, there's nothing wrong with having, you know, an elaborate routine and bringing a little bag with you that has all the stuff that you want in it. That's very responsible sub behavior. The only thing that I would advise against is being so adherent to that, that if you don't get your perfect routine, it can ruin things for you because life happens. Life doesn't always work the way we want it to. And... I'd hate for you to be in a situation where you need 45 minutes of aftercare and you need to have candles and you don't have 45 minutes and there's no candles and now you're distraught because you can't have it just the way you need it to be. So I would encourage you to, yeah, if you have things you like, do that thing. Don't be so reliant upon it that if you don't have everything perfect, it would ruin you. That's a, that's a very vulnerable position to be in when you can't always control what happens after a scene. It's been great to talk to you guys again. I do love doing this podcast. I know that it's not been nearly as regular as I would like. I do feel like I'm getting back into that groove. My life here is very different than it was when I lived in Virginia. 
And it's taking me some time to get used to what I'm doing here, how I'm doing it. I do have some new responsibilities I didn't have before. I don't have other responsibilities that I had before. But as I figure this out, I'm going to bring you guys along for the ride. I will start being better at Patreon. I cannot tell you how much I appreciate you guys that have stuck with me. If you were once a Patreon follower and you pieced out of that, I totally understand because I have not been delivering the kind of content that I said I would on that platform. I do want to start doing that and look for new content coming out soon. Also, I finally found the box that had the cups in it. So I will be sending out those cups. If you ever subscribed at the level where you get a cup, you will get that cup. As long as I have your info and your address, I'll get those out as soon as I possibly can. As always, consent is king. Take very good care of each other. And we'll, we'll see, see you, you next week. week.